You're listening to Tap into the Truth. Hey, Joe. They say building back better, make America great. If that's a wave of the future, all I've got to say, stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, well, we'd all be just fine. broadcast of Tap Into The Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. It is I, your ever-so-humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you live from Stork Rome County, Tennessee, and I am so very glad to have each and every one of you here with me along for the ride as we try to make sense of this world that's topsy-turvy, upside-down, and run by leftists. Uh, that's a lot to try to make sense of, uh, especially considering that there really is no rhyme, reason, or logic involved. <laughs> well, at any rate, uh, welcome to the show. As always, I do greatly appreciate you being here. And uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently than usual, because here's the thing. In the past, ordinarily, I would, on a show where I have more than one guest, 
divide up having the guest on in one hour and then a different guest on in the next hour. But going to have both guests interviewed played in the first hour, primarily because I actually had the conversations with these folks yesterday, uh, that of course being uh, Wednesday, and uh, both conversations were so good I just could not risk terrestrial radio not getting to hear both conversations. Uh, that's all it is. Uh, the folks that are listening uh, at great stations across the country like KYAH 540 AM, Utah Stock Authority, just mentioned the flagship. If you're listening on one of the other stations, I do not want you to miss out on these great conversations because first, the first conversation I had was with the man that was persecuted, prosecuted, but they could not break him, and he is not, will not be silenced. Yes, I'm talking about the political prisoner, Paul Manafort, and of course I did all that wordplay based on the title of his brand new book that was released just this week. Uh, so we talked primarily about the new book, but we also talked about his thoughts regarding, uh, well, the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Of course, you're going to get to hear that in just a minute. And then, a little bit later, uh, after that conversation was over, I got to speak to Nina May. Now, if you're not familiar with her name, just off the, uh, the top of your uh, hat there, trust me, this is a lady you want to know about. She is a firebrand, a spark plug, and she is a creative, such a great talent. In fact, uh, I really hope to have a chance to get her back on the show later just to talk about some of the stuff that she's doing creatively. Uh, currently, uh, the big thing is producing a show that can be seen on Amazon Prime as well as on Tubi and a few other locations. It's called Daily Bread. I was watching the first episode last night after the broadcast because I had hoped in my show prep to have time to watch some of it, uh, but since we weren't going to get to that conversation topic uh, tonight, well, last night, I knew there wasn't uh, too much of a pressure I would have time, and uh, I was kind of enjoyed it, a, a unique take on what happens in a post-apocalyptic world, uh, <laughs> and uh, great character development from what I've watched so far, and I'm I'm going to be watching the rest of it. highly recommend you uh, check it out as well. But the point of the matter was we were talking on so many different topics that we barely even scratched the surface of the primary topic that I had brought her on to talk about because she's got a lot of great think pieces, a lot of great articles that are out there regarding all these uh, other issues. Because primarily we were going to look at what is it, uh, what are all the examples, what is this ongoing situation, why can we just not take the FBI at face value? Why can we not just trust that they are the good guys anymore? Why do we have to, like every other branch of our federal government, uh, treat them with a strong level of skepticism? Not that we ever should have just taken it for granted, but I kind of liked living in a world where you pretty much could. Uh, that world has long since been gone, and I don't know that I ever actually lived in it. Uh, looking back now, uh, I think those days might have ended well before my birth back in 1971. At any rate, uh, what do you say we go ahead and get into it? Uh, we definitely want to make sure we get both interviews in in this first hour. Uh, and of course, second hour of tonight's broadcast will remain bonus content for the podcast listeners and the folks listening on the last frequency. So uh, for everybody's benefit, 
let's go ahead and jump into my conversation with Paul Manafort. Now, there are some strange uh, noises in the background early on. It was on his end uh, for a change. It wasn't something that was my fault. But uh, bear with it. It goes away pretty quickly. But ladies and gentlemen, here is my conversation from Wednesday night with Paul Manafort. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break. And it is now a distinct honor and privilege to bring to you a first-time guest to the show, uh, ladies and gentlemen, he's a political consultant, he's a governor, governmental affairs professional with a career spanning five decades. You probably know him better, though, as the uh, campaign manager for one Donald John Trump. Ladies and gentlemen, author of a brand new book, welcome Mr. Paul Manafort. Uh, Mr. Manafort, first of all, thank you so much for joining us tonight, and how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. It's great to be on your show tonight. All right. Well, thank you. It's a very distinct honor for me, I assure you. Uh wanted to start off, uh, before we start talking about the book, if it's all right with you, to uh, kind of get your thoughts about the Mar-a-Lago FBI raid, because it, it kind of feels like uh, it probably be a case of deja vu all over again for you. Yeah, sure, it sure is. I mean, my book actually deals with all of the components that uh, were part of the raid on the president's house in Mar-a-Lago. Uh, the, the the weaponization of the Justice Department and the Department and the FBI has continued and in fact gotten worse, I believe, in the Biden administration. And you know Biden is very worried about Donald Trump. I mean, the more likely it is that he's going to run for president, the, the, the more frightened Biden is, not understanding what he says, and so the increasing attempts to pressure Trump not into running, coming with this raid of his home, you know, uh, you know are indicative of the lack of, of the lawlessness within the Department of Justice and the, the lack of, uh, of any historical understanding of what the Constitution stands for and what uh, why for over the entire history of this country, no political opponent has ever experienced this uh, at the hands of uh, a White House that uh, he was a, could potentially find him as a candidate again. Um, in my book, I talk about some of the same players who were part of this Biden administration and uh, the, the deep state's fear of Donald Trump. And what, that's what this is all about, this, this raid. It's, it's an extension of that fear and a fishing expedition to try to come up with anything that will uh, be able to stop Trump from running. But, but as they showed in the five years of uh, the campaign and the Trump presidency, you know, his woke left has no idea who Donald Trump is. And if there's ever a way you want to convince him not to do something, it's not to try and embarrass him and, uh, and go after him the way they did at Mar-a-Lago. If anything else, I think Trump is closer to making a decision to run than he ever was after that raid. Right. Uh, it certainly seems to be his modus operandi, but you certainly know him better than I do. Uh, talking about the book, we're talking about political prisoner Persecuted, Prosecuted, But Not Silenced. A great new book, officially uh, available as of August 16th, so it's only been out for a few days at this point. Um, just to refresh everybody's memories, a uh, big part of what the book is about, you were accused of working with pro-Russian Ukrainian uh, folks. You were accused of money laundering, of tax evasion, of failing to register as a foreign agent, which, by the way, is something they don't seem very interested in looking at Hunter Biden about. Uh, 
Uh, all very serious sounding accusations. But in your case, it really does seem like it was just an effort to try and get leverage on you, uh, to force you into saying what they wanted to hear. What exactly is it that you think that they were wanting you to tell them? And were you ever t tempted at any point during this time to kind of give them what it was they wanted? Well, I was never tempted to give them what they wanted because to do that, I would have to lie, and I was not going to lie. Uh, yes, it was an attempt to squeeze me. That's what it was all about. In fact, all the charges they brought, I had either been cleared by the government previous years, many years before Trump even ran for president, uh, or, or they were made up that were based on the lives of somebody who worked for me. Uh, the, yeah, and so, you know, it was clear to me from the beginning that, 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 that what they were trying to do with me, because I had no connection to Russia and Vladimir Putin. I mean, yes, I had worked for a Russian oligarch in the early 2000s, uh, but I did, the work I did for him was outside of the country. And my, my role in Ukraine was very visible, very public, and very much involved in getting Ukraine to change its legal, economic, and regulatory structures so that they could become part of Europe, something that Russia was 100% against uh, Ukraine doing. So, and this is all public information. So they, they knew that. Uh, and we now know, thanks to the Durham investigation, that the DNC and the former operatives of their own Ukraine, Ms. Chaluba, uh, you know, they went to, to Ukraine and literally made stuff up to try and embarrass me and, and put pressure on me. It, you know, it, it, got me it, it got me arrested. It got me put into solitary confinement. It got me put in a gag order so I couldn't defend myself. Uh, but it didn't get me to break, break uh, at ranks and uh, and lie about Donald Trump, and it didn't it give them what they wanted on Russian collusion. In my book, I actually go through what they were trying to have me say about Donald Trump, what their what their theories, what Weissman's theories were on the Russian collusion, you know, what, what his theories were on the links to Russia, the motives to Russia, all of which were total fictions, and and not just fictions, but crazy ideas. Um, and, and against all the facts. But what you saw in my Lago, I experienced, you know, firsthand early in 2016 and 17, where, you know, the, the government says something outrageous, you know, Trump is you know, violating the espionage laws and is going to, you know, be, be, to be, get criminal charges filed against him. And then all of a sudden, anonymous sources in the government start leaking to favored reporters. By the way, the same favored reporters that were leaked to in the 2016 and 17 Russian collusion stuff. And these anonymous sources talk about how oh, Trump is really worried, his lawyers are worried about this, and this is gonna happen, and the government's gonna bring this. And, and then the social media picks it up, and the circular reporting starts with all the buzzwords. And the, what the goal is is to convict Trump in the court of public opinion. That's what they did to me. By the time I got my trial, I was guilty. I mean, you read my, I don't even recognize my Wikipedia page who I am. I mean, it's just all lies. Uh, but that's their MO. That's what they've done for five years. And they, they're fearful and they're tr desperate to get Trump out of the way because they see what's coming in November and they worry that that's going to be followed in 2024 with the Republicans recapturing the White House, too. Yeah. I think they should be very nervous because I think. Uh uh, President Trump uh, did learn a very important lesson about 
trusting folks who have simply been there for a while. I think you learned from that first term to go ahead and uh, clean house and get the folks in place that need to be in place. Um, you know, you talked about having been in uh, solitary confinement. You were literally there for uh, right about a year, which is certainly outside of the norm. I'm curious as to what their rationale for having you in solitary for a year was. Uh, what would, what were they? What excuse did they give you? Your attorneys? What were they telling you? They told me I was put in solitary confinement, a room with no windows, nine by twelve cell, no ability to exercise and get out of the cell. They did this for my safety, which was a joke. When I ultimately, when I was sentenced and went into the general population in prison, uh, you know, I was among you know thousands of prisoners. I never had any risk of uh, fear of my life. There were never any intentions of a negative made against me. So it was all it was all a false uh, ruse to look like they cared about me while they were trying to break my body down and break my mind down so that I would capitulate to the pressure they were giving and putting on me to give them Donald Trump. Yeah. It sounds like some of those advanced interrogation techniques taken a little further. Uh, we see the folks on the left complain about them being used against known terrorists but have no compunctions to use them against political prisoners here in the U.S. It's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's terrifying, really, if you think about it. Uh, it, it is. And Go ahead. I was about to say, and, and the same people who talk about the importance of going after Trump, you know, are the people that were saying in 2016 when one of the campaign cries in the, in the, at the Trump rallies was lock her up, lock her up, that he was going to you know, go after his political opponents. Well, he won and he didn't. Biden talked, said he was going to unify the nation. He was going to heal the, the wounds of the Trump years. And all he's done is exacerbate them and create greater, greater damage and, and greater risk to our Constitution. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, one of the things that kind of strikes me, I, I was always surprised that, uh, that President Trump didn't move to grant your clemency uh, sooner than he did. I know there was a lot of political pressure. There was a lot of efforts to, to try not to to look like you were doing the wrong thing, the appearance of impropriety. But he knew the truth, uh, and he knew what they were up to. And he had to have known that it wouldn't really have changed very many opinions one way or the other. Uh, I'm sure you wish he had, but without trying to, to cause any issues or have you say anything that might backfire, so you're perfectly okay to, to not answer if you don't feel like it, but should Trump have... Uh, Granted your clemency uh, much sooner than he did? Look, as, as a political consultant, I always look at all the issues in front of a candidate uh, or an office holder. Uh, and when I'm objective about it, I understand why he didn't do it. Um, you know, when I look at it personally, I wish he had done it the next day. Um, so it's one of those things that I don't say, oh, he should have done it when earlier. He did it. He, he gave me my life back. He gave me my freedom back. Uh, and, and I'm forever indebted for that. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I certainly can understand. And again, I, I see that you're not only standing on uh, the principles of I will not lie, but also standing on the the principles of what is uh, the, the mindset of a political consultant. So I, I really appreciate your integrity, uh, sir. Uh, last question before we start wrapping things up. 
you know, there's a lot of stuff covered in your book. I, I barely had a chance to get started, but let me tell you, I hate every time having to set it down. Because, like I said, I, I just got it yesterday and, and ordered it from Amazon, and it was delayed a couple of days. And so uh, I was thumbing through it, and then all of a sudden I'm finding that uh, so much time has gotten away from me. But a lot of stuff. Uh, when, when you're trying to get folks to uh, pick up a copy, uh, if they do and they start reading this book, what do you think is going to be the most shocking bit of information that you reveal in this book? Well, how pervasive the, the tactics of the deep state are. I mean, because we sort of are immune to, we see them in bits and pieces. We never see them in, in the context of a picture. It's like a, a mosaic, and we only see the pieces of the, of the puzzle, not the whole puzzle. In my book, I connect all the dots. I talk about the deep state. I talk about the two-tiered system of justice. Uh, I talk about why Trump was running and why he had support and why the deep state feared him and why they, therefore, went after him the way they did, which was unique to the way anybody's ever gone after a political candidate before. And then I and I bring it down to my level and use my experience uh, as an example. But then I take it to another level in the end of the book because I finished writing this book at the end of the last year, which was the first year of the Biden administration. And in it, I, I tell the American people that everything you've just read, all these horrors that you've just seen happen to people that you see in the news, are going to be happening to you too, unless we take back our country. Uh, and, and I walked through, and this was before it was happening, how the Biden administration would be going after everyday Americans who don't agree with them. And, and in this case, we've now seen them going after parents at school board meetings, parents who object to the DAs to making the victims into worse than the criminals, uh, people on the border being, being uh, uh, criticized or trying to protect their, their property and their families. Uh, and, and now 87,000 new IRS agents are going out there to go after middle America and, and red America, Americans that are not part of the woke left. Uh, and that's what's going to happen. And so in the book, I, 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 it, I want them to see how pervasive the deep state is and how it does touch them very directly. Uh, and how, but how I, I, I'm optimistic in the book. I talk about how they can change all of that by starting to take back the government this November. And they are. I mean, I mean I'm pleased to see that what's been happening over the last six months since the book was finished, where the Republicans are you know, on, the, on the cusp of a, of a big election victory. Uh, and then what's going to have to happen, you know, I talk about this in the book, is the Republicans are going to have to use that new, new power to move their agenda, but also to expose the corruption in the government, we, it, not in a vindictive way, but with, you know, they are charged as being guardians of our Constitution when they take control of the House and the Senate. They have to expose the corruption that puts our Constitution at risk, and, and they have to let the chips fall where they may. Absolutely. All right, well, I want to thank you very much again, sir. Uh, I greatly appreciate your time. Before I let you go, though, please feel free to share any websites that you'd like to. If you're involved anywhere on social media and uh, invite people to follow you, uh, feel free to share your handles. Uh, basically, anything else you want to throw out there for the listener's benefit. 
Well, I've kept a, a, a small footprint on uh, social media for obvious reasons, but I am on uh, Truth Social at, at Paul Manafort, and your, your listeners are welcome to go on. Uh, tell me what they think about the book. Tell me what, they, what they'd like to know that I didn't address the book and, uh, and start a conversation. All right. And uh, where can they find the book? We probably ought to throw that out there, too. Yeah, it's 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 available in all bookstores now, wherever books are sold. But the also can get it online at Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or Simon Schuster, uh, and uh, you know it's they're delivering within two days, so you can, you can have a book this weekend. All right, uh, the timing. I don't know that it could have been any better. It's almost like you had a crystal ball. Uh, I was hoping it was targeted for midterms, but you know, uh, thank you so much, and uh, you know, best of luck to you, sir. And uh, hopefully we'll get to look forward to talking to you again. All right. Thank you, sir. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Paul Manafort, political prisoner, persecuted, prosecuted, but not silenced. And uh, we'll be back after this very brief break. You're listening to Tap into the Truth. My name's Joe Biden. I keep forgetting I'm president. Rise and shine, sleepy Joe. Now's the time, don't you know, to get into a new kind of dream. You can rest your head on the corner of your bed. You can watch the world go by. But you're never gonna see what the other people see. If you're always going to be a line dog face pony soldier. New York Mayor Eric Adams and Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot are perfect examples of willfully stubborn advocates for wrong solutions. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. Recently, New York Mayor Eric Adams complained again about Texas Governor Greg Abbott's sending more illegal border crossers to the big, now rotten apple. Obviously, Mayor Adams is trying to have his political cake and eat it, too. But there's one big heap of problem. He wishes our border to be overflowing with uncivilized illegal border crossers who are also diseased because, like most Democrats, he wants our republic destroyed from within via whatever means available, including wide open borders. So when you either hear or read about Mayor Adams or any Democrat complaining about illegals delivered to their city, remember, it is only political grandstanding because politicians like Eric Adams and Mayor Lightfoot of Chicago told the world they either support or declared their cities to be sanctuary cities for illegals. Hopefully the voters will truly care about and rescue their cities before it's too late. I'm Ron Edwards. Join me via the Ron Edwards American Experience to find out where. Go to theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. We have the ability to see what can be, unburdened by what has been, and then to make the possible actually happen. I, I do not view abortion as a uh, um, as a choice and a right. I think it's always a tragedy, and I think that uh, it should be uh, rare and safe. And I think we should be focusing on how to limit the number of abortions. 
Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. I'm Ron Edwards, host of the Edwards Notebook, and you're listening to Tim Tap and Tap into the Truth. Yes, indeed. Right here, right now, with all of you. That's where I want to be. And uh, I'm glad to, to, to be here with you, actually. Thank you so very much. Uh, before we get back uh, to the next interview of the day, I need to try to sell you a little something. Uh, in the podcast, you're going to find a link to Built. However, instead of the totally awesome candy bars that they keep calling protein bars for some strange reason, even though I keep telling you they taste too good to be protein bars. Uh, they are good for you. Uh, now, this time, we're going to take a little look at something called Built Boost. And now, Immune Plus is also a part of the family there. The Immune Plus comes in three great flavors that they have added to the Built Boost line. Here's the thing. Their tagline with this is, don't just take your vitamins, enjoy them. And uh, this is a good way to do that. Uh, these are designed to help you uh, be a little bit healthier. Uh, what it is, is there are these pouches that you can add to water. Uh, make just a, an awesome little health uh, drink for you. And health is literally everything. So be ready for flu season. Uh, for a lot of us, flu season has already begun. And... Uh, there's just there's no better tasting way to get in your critical vitamins and uh, herbs and minerals and increase your immune defense. Check it out. Follow the link. And while you're there, you can also uh, surf around the pages and uh, check out the latest Built Bars. Their new Pina Colada uh, Puff is the absolute uh, best tasting one yet, or at least I'm kind of partial to Pina Colada to begin with. Uh, just so many great flavors. Check them all out while you're there. And don't forget to follow the link in the show description, or if you're listening on terrestrial radio, don't have that show description in front of you for any reason, just come visit me over at tapintothetruth.com, that's T-A-P-P, intothetruth.com, all one word, and uh, scroll down past the recent guest section on the homepage, and you will start seeing banners and buttons and all kinds of cool stuff that you can just press, 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 and uh, it will take you to the built site if you hit the built uh, banner. And uh, from there, it's just the same as if you followed the link. That's the way they know I sent you. And that turns that win-win of you getting a great product that you're really going to like, uh, the win of them getting a great new customer. That's you, by the way. And uh, 
we add that extra win because you help to support the show by using the link. They know I sent you and all that good stuff. I get that uh, finder's fee, if you will. And uh, that's not such a, a big ask, I think. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get back to the action. Next up, I also, uh, by the way, time of this live broadcast just so happens to be Thursday, 8-18-2022. That's for the benefit of the uh, folks listening on Terrestrial Radio that's hearing the rebroadcast. The conversations that you heard, both with Paul Manafort just a few minutes ago and now with Nina May, both took place on Wednesday. Uh, so uh, just to give you a little frame of reference, and here is that conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, don't go anywhere. This this was a fun conversation, too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break. And it is now my honor and indeed a privilege to welcome to the show a first-time guest. I don't get to say that very often. I've been uh, uh, blessed with a lot of return guests, but I've had the opportunity to reach out with somebody new. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, she is the founder and chairman of Renaissance Women. She is indeed the creator, writer, and director of the dramatic TV series Daily Bread. Uh, her bio goes on and on. I got to tell you, the more I look at it, the more impressed I am. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Miss Nina May. Uh, Miss May, is it all right if I call you Nina first? No, absolutely. All right, Nina. Fine. Thank you so much for joining me today. And before we jump into anything at all, how are you doing today? Oh, doing great. Just wonderful. And except for the fact that our FBI is out of control. But other than that, we're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, unfortunately, that's something that uh, we've all been dealing with. Uh, just a, a few minutes yeah. ago, I, I got to speak with Paul Manafort talking about his new book. And uh, man, the, the level of deja vu <laughs> is just unreal. Yeah. It really is unreal. It's it's unfortunate that it's gotten this far this fast, but hopefully it's a wake-up call for the American people who thought something like this could never happen in America. And um, the only way to change it is going to be at the voting booth. Yeah. Well, I obviously wanted to talk to you directly about the raid at Mar-a-Lago, but before we do anything else, a lot of the work you've done, uh, both with your nonprofit foundations and uh, your international uh, presence, lead me to believe that you're the perfect person to ask about your thoughts with our recent one-year anniversary of the withdrawal of the United States forces from Afghanistan, because that to me is something that, uh, you know, it's unforgivable. Uh, the way it's occurred, but to see the humanitarian crisis going on over there and to know that that goes directly uh, to Joe Biden's, uh, his choices. Uh, I just would love to get your thoughts there because I know this is something that you undoubtedly uh, have a lot to, to say about as well. Yeah, that was probably one of the most embarrassing moments in American history that I can recall even reading about. It was so frustrating because it's like he was not listening to anyone or someone was t pulling the strings and telling him what he should do. And the fact that they put a deadline on it, someone just pulled, you know, the August deadline out of the air and said, we have to be out by that time. We're going, why? What's the hurry? Why would we be leaving Americans behind and all these incredible assets that have helped us? Why would we um, decide unilaterally, I guess, that we're going to leave all this equipment behind. It could have taken maybe two or three days to pack up all that stuff, put it on a few cargo planes, get it out of there. Then, of course, we turn around a year later and give Ukraine 
$40 billion to buy exactly the same kind of equipment. What we should have said, okay, Ukraine, listen, we left a lot of stuff over there in Afghanistan. Why don't you guys go pick it up? You know, you guys have a little bit of a tete-a-tete with the, uh, with the Mujahideen or whatever, and then you go in and uh, fight your own battle with, with Putin instead of pulling us into all these things. So we get out of one, like, oh, we shouldn't be involved with this internationally, and jump right into another one. That doesn't make any sense at all, except that I really do think that there's a lot of Chinese strings attached to all this stuff. Because remember the picture with the um, the Taliban leader next to the Chinese um, representative or whatever there from his embassy, right as uh, Biden made the announcement that they were going to be doing the withdrawal. It was like, thumbs up, Bill or Joe, <laughs> you did a great job. It's exactly what we wanted you to do. And then he gave him a list of the things he wanted. And guess what was on that list? All of the American equipment, all of the, the weaponry that we left there. So it's just a little bit too, co- too cozy by two. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, that is a connection that not very many people are making. So uh, I greatly appreciate the fact that you and a few others are being very vocal. And, you know, that's the other thing uh, that I really, uh, really appreciate about you, Nina, that you are very vocal. When you see something wrong, uh, you call it out. Uh, You've had a lot to say about the January 6th hearings and uh, the debacle from the beginning. And, you know, you talked about uh, how you were there and you were filming and and I've loved reading your articles it's just it's shocking to me that more people haven't woken up to the fact that there are so many things that under normal circumstances uh, law enforcement and the court of public opinion would require the release of certain documentation the release of video footage a lot of things are being kept under wraps and it really seems like it's intentional uh but circling back around to as you put it the raid heard around the world uh i i know the answer but i want to give you a chance to to answer it anyway uh do you honestly believe uh, that this is this raid on Mar-a-Lago is nothing more than a fishing expedition in an attempt to still try to hang January 6th uh, around Donald Trump's neck. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. And it is kind of interesting that they do refuse to release that 14,000 hours of security tape and show us exactly you know, what happened that day and we could piece it together. But they think it's important to, to burst down the, the president's house and send 30 agents in there for nine hours searching through stuff to go, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we put those 30 agents over in the um, the archives of the security cameras of the Capitol and have them go through all that? Because there's crimes in there. There were setups. We know that there were FBI agents in there that were, were egging these people on. And everything that you were seeing on TV up close and personal, think about it. All of those, that footage was up close and personal. Where's the wide shot? Again, we make movies. So I'm looking at this at this from a perspective of a um, a producer. There was no wide shot on any of those those pictures. It was just a close up scrums of these people pushing back, and the um, the video that they did do the professional video. I'm using quote marks with my hands from a producer from Hollywood that they hired. They gave him access to this footage, but they won't give us access to it. Why not? That's you know, pretty discriminating, I think. But even with the access of 14,000 hours of footage, he could only come up with maybe, maybe a minute worth of footage that he could use to prove their point. Because guess what? The footage doesn't exist. And when they show those bike racks 
being pushed up against, that's a training tape, for goodness sakes. When you look in the background, it's all green grass. Believe me, at the time that they said that happened, I think they said it was like 1258 or something like that, or about 1253, there were thousands and thousands of people on the, on the green grass right behind them. So you're going, well, why did they have two little bike racks? That, that sidewalk is like 50 feet wide. I mean, it's huge. It's a long, wide sidewalk that leads up to the Capitol. And you're going to try and protect it with two little bike racks? We didn't see any bike racks when we were there. There were no Capitol Hill police stopping anyone from going onto the grounds of the Capitol. And everything they're saying happened did not happen. And we've got proof. We've got the footage to show it. And we didn't go there to prove anything. We honestly just went there to get B-roll for future you know, documentaries or something that we might want to use. And it was historic. It was like, okay, this is going to be an historic day. Let's get some footage on that. And because we're close to D.C., we do that all the time. I've been doing that for years. I've got stacks and stacks of, of files of footage of different uh, rallies and, and um, speeches. And there's always a speech on the steps of the Capitol. That's not trespass. In fact, there were four permits that were issued that day from the park services. So we should say that they are complicit in this, quote, insurrection. And what about the, the mayor, Mayor Bowser? She posted on the official website of D.C., how to get in and out of the city safely, what roads to take, what roads would be blocked off, what roads, you know, wouldn't be, what, what, where to get off on the uh, metro. So is she complicit in this? Is she part of the insurrection because she told everyone where to go and how to stay safe when they're there? So they're piecing this whole thing together after the fact because they have to – here's what happened, bottom line. Their timeline doesn't work. He started speaking an hour after they thought he would. So when they staged all of these – these things that they were staging. They happen to have these cameras in there. Where did these cameras come from? Where did all the TV station um, people come from? I'll tell you where one of them came from. He was hired that morning, 10 o'clock that morning. He signed a contract with two major networks that they were going to give him tons of money. I'm not, I'm not going to say the amount, but a lot of money to get footage of the riot that was going to happen inside the Capitol. That's 10 in the morning. He's signing that contract. Let's look at that contract. Bring that up as evidence. Did Liz ever mention that contract? Did she ever mention the person with the camera that happened to get the money shot of the hand going out with the gun? And he swings his camera over and gets to see Ashley Babbitt falling out of the window. And you can hear him on his tape saying, we did it. We actually did it. Did what? What did you do exactly? Bring him up as a witness. Bring all of these people up as a witness that are seeing something totally different than what we're hearing on this hearing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they definitely do not want to bring any information to light that, uh, well, you know, kind of messes up their fan fiction about the insurrection. I, mm -hmm. I, I still can't imagine anybody takes these people seriously when they use the word insurrection. This is literally the worst insurrection ever. Uh, evidently, uh, <laughs> Donald Trump. Not one gun. Not one gun was in an insurrection except, yeah. except the Capitol Police who shot and killed Ashley Babbitt. Other than that, not one of these protesters had a gun on them. So how do you have an insurrection without weapons? That doesn't make any sense. Absolutely. I'm going to talk of the death. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it is astounding. And, and the fact that the, the mainstream media, several sources, still say that five people died that day. Not one person other than Ashley Babbitt died that day. And none of them died as a result of uh, the uh, the riot. And, and I will... I will say a riot probably is a reasonable thing to call it, uh, although it was still 
relatively tamed by standards of the uh, Summer of Love riots we'd been seeing up to that point, thanks to the Saint. Uh, yeah, well, when you've got 20 FBI agents who know exactly how to make a riot look like a riot, yeah, it was a riot. But these innocent people that came there just to express their opinion on a, um, a phony election, they weren't part of the riot. In fact, the whole time we were walking with, I mean, t crowds and crowds of people, I have seen a lot of crowds in Washington. I've never seen anything like this. And they, we all think that there was at least 2 million people there easily. And it was the most peaceful group of people you've ever seen. Nothing at all like Antifa or BLM, not like they'd just done at the White House a month or so before. Nothing at all like that. I mean, people were singing God Bless America. They're chanting USA. They were saying hi to each other and and you know, there were vendors on the street, and it was just peaceful. And when we got there, it was peaceful until the SWAT team up on the steps, and they don't tell you about this, they started shooting flashbangs into the crowd. And one of the people was, it was shot in the chest with the flashbang, and he almost did die. He didn't die, but they had to rush him to the hospital. But they were trying to incite the riot, and the people did not push in, and they did not fight back or push back. So when you see these, these little... Um, I call them scenes, the, scene one, where they're breaking in with the, the shield in the window. Then you've got scene two, when they're coming in through the door. Scene three, there's like a, a, a little tunnel, and they're pushing, and this lady is beating the snot out of, a, of a, an innocent woman, just keeps hitting her on the head with a rod. It was a policeman doing that. And so, okay, that was real. So that woman really did get hit. But who was it that was, put, was beating her? And even the policemen didn't even know what their uniforms were. One person was said, well, you're a Capitol Hill police. You shouldn't be doing this. And he had to look at his badge to see on his sleeve who he was because they handed out the uniforms and said, okay, here's your job. There was two busloads of Antifa-type thugs that were escorted in by the FBI – or not FBI. I'm just going to say the police. I don't know if it's Capitol Police or, or Metropolitan Police. Police into the Capitol. They actually removed a couple of bike racks because – they were going to be filming. So they moved everybody in. They're ushering him in. And the undercover cops that told me about this, they were friends of mine because, every, like I say, we all do this route and this routine. It's been done for years. And they said, you know, we saw this, this thing. We couldn't figure out why they were ushering in these Antifa types, all blessed, dressed in black, black mask, black hood, sticks. I mean, the whole thing. And it's the policeman ushering them into the Capitol. And now you've got a little old lady who's 70 years old taking a picture with her camera, and she's in jail now. She had her door busted in. There's just something wrong with this entire picture. And the problem is the narrative is not working for them anymore. And Liz Cheney did a horrible, horrible job of her, her show trial, kangaroo court show trial, embarrassing as it was. And so they've got to try something else because they are scared to death of losing the House and the Senate in 2022, and they're more scared of, of um, Trump running again. And I tell you what, they've made a martyr out of this man. There were people that had said, eh, I think we need someone else. But they're now saying, if he runs, we're all in, because he represents us. It's not about Trump anymore. Trump is a movement. If Trump wasn't even in the picture, there'd still be the Trump train, the Trump movement, that feeling of, of individuality, of get the, the government out of my face, you know, stop taking my liberties and my freedoms, stop taxing me to death, close the border, you know, give us equal treatment under the law. I mean, those things would still be palpable in everyone's mouth, if, even if there was not a Donald Trump. And that's the, the standard that we're all going by now. We want that kind of a leader, not the mealy mouth, you know, rhino, never Trumpers, 
I won't mention names because you obviously know some of the ones I'm talking about. And uh, we don't want them. Those days are over. We do not need them. Forget the establishment. We need new blood. Absolutely. Uh, can you hang with me for about an extra five minutes or so? Because I really would like to get into your uh, recent article in regards to how you talk about the FBI. Uh, do you have time for that? Sure, absolutely. All right. Now, uh, of course, I'm talking about your most recent one, which was actually the primary reason why I had originally reached out to you, uh, the raid heard around the world. Uh, but as so often happens, I'm afraid I get very greedy with people's time if you're willing to give it, especially when I haven't had a chance to talk to them before and they're fun to talk to, <laughs> which obviously uh, in it, you make a lot of, uh, of points regarding fairly recent events. And some things from a little further back that a lot of folks won't forget. But in every case, you're laying out the, the primary reason why we should no longer consider the FBI to be uh, even a law enforcement organization, let alone an American institution the American people can count on. Uh, within those uh, confines, what do you feel like is the most telling event in regards to uh, this particular instance where they showed up? at Mar-a-Lago uh, while uh, former President Trump obviously was not even at home and wouldn't allow the attorneys to even witness what they were doing. Uh, what is your general feel for the actual uh, uh, purpose here? What, what is their intent besides trying to just find whatever they can? Because clearly, I, 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 go ahead. I, I think they're trying to terrorize people. I think that's why you still have some of the J6ers, we call them, sitting in jail without being charged. They haven't even had their day in court. You're innocent until proven guilty, but some reason, anyone that did anything was even in the Capitol, even in D.C., there are people that have had their doors busted in that weren't even in the, the Washington, D.C. They, they stayed in their, their hotel room the whole time. So you've got, I think it's about 800 people who have had their doors kicked in by the FBI. They've been searched. They've been handcuffed. They've, their computers have been take, stolen. And for doing what? And again, how many have been charged? I think maybe 10 of them have been charged this whole time. And tons of them are sitting in jail. Simone Gold, Dr. Simone Gold is in jail because she happened to be inside the rotunda of the Capitol. She was part of a, a group that was given a, a, a permit to be inside the Capitol, to, to have a... Um, Part of the rally, there were four permits given that day, and Simone Gold was under one of the permits. So she couldn't find the leader, so she just says, well, okay, I'm supposed to be giving a speech, I'll start speaking. So she started speaking, and people gathered around her. No one stopped her. No one you know, came up and said, ma'am, you got to stop, you got to leave, you're trespassing, nothing. What happened was her picture was in the paper, and the FBI saw that, and they raided her house. They burst down her door. So, yeah, no, I don't think they're to be trusted. And I remember a time when Ronald Reagan was president and they referred to the FBI, the, the liberals did, as jackbooted thugs because they happened to be under Ronald Reagan's administration. So are they still the same jackbooted thugs? Oh, you mean like the ones that bugged Martin Luther King? Oh, the one that, that had a red dot on his little baby, Elian Gonzalez, who was hiding in a closet so he could stay free in this country? I mean, it, the list goes on and on. And now you've got them targeting um, uh, parents who want to have something to do with their schools. They want to, you know, say, hey, you can't teach that. And I want to have something to say about the curriculum. They're being targeted now as terrorists, domestic terrorists. They've even got a list now of um, 
traditional symbols of liberty, like uh, Betsy Ross, the Gadsden flag, the, the Battle of Gonzales flag, and saying that these are, if anyone has these symbols on a, on a bumper sticker or on a flag or in their home or use it on anything, you can flag them as domestic terrorists. Yeah, they're out of hand. They're absolutely out of hand, and it's scary and frightening because once they do this and they control the, the, the Justice Department, they control the courts, they control the, all the attorney generals that, that um, George Soros has bought and paid for, where does anyone go to get justice in this country anymore? Where do you go? I mean, the Supreme Court has been supremely quiet and silent on all this. You would have expected someone to say, listen, just go to the top. We're talking about a president. Just go to the top. Bring in another branch of government and see what it is that is allowed and what is not allowed because everyone's just making this stuff up in a whole cloth as they go along. It's, it's, a, it's a banana republic. I know that people have hackneyed that and have said it a million times, but it truly is. This is how you see dictators rise in a third world country. Yeah, I think one of the most uh, chilling moments for me is when I saw that uh, the Chinese Communist Party officially commented that this was banana republic, that uh, the United States has officially, <laughs> so when, when wow. they're calling it out. And, and if anybody's yes. going to know, uh, leave the Communist Chinese Party to, to know exactly what a banana republic looks like because they take full advantage of them all around the world. Uh, exactly. it, it's scary, scary times. Um uh, you know, there's still so many interesting things. Like I said, I I spend a lot of time looking through your bio, and every line uh, leads me to a million things that I would love to talk to you about too. Because <laughs> anybody oh. that works in media like you do, uh, you're constantly surrounded with leftists. Uh, usually, cancel culture comes for folks like you, and I'm so glad to see that you're having uh, the level of success that you are. And, and I certainly hope it continues to. Uh, to uh, to rise. Uh, before I let you go, uh, I'm going to ask you if we can get together and talk again sometime. And uh, sure. if you say yes, I am going to hold you to it. By the way, and, no, absolutely, uh, <laughs> love to. That would be great. Absolutely. In fact, in the meantime, if, if people want to know more about our work, they can go to dailybreadseries.com and see our very dramatic TV series. It's post-apocalyptic, and it's based on the fact that a solar flare knocks out electricity around the world. And these seven millennial women who are the cast and crew of a cooking show have to figure out now how to survive without their devices. And that's actually why I wrote the series, because I wanted to unplug these young people and say, OK, now get along, <laughs> get to know each other, work together. But it's fun. It's a, it's um, even though it's a dramatic series. There's a lot of fun stuff in it, a lot of great character development. But it's called Daily Bread and you can find it on dailybreadseries.com. And, um, and that gives people an idea of some of the projects that we do with Renaissance Women Productions. And that will, um, you know, get them. We, we have a, a uh, what's it called? A romantic comedy that we just released right as COVID went out, or came in, whatever, where they locked everything down. So our movies was, was locked in the theaters. It's called First Lady. It's a romantic comedy. It's called a, it's sort of a modern fairy tale. And it's really, really cute. In fact, we went into Cannes Film, Film Festival. We were accepted at Cannes, which is pretty rare for comedies to be uh, accepted at Cannes. So we're thrilled by that. But yeah, Renaissance Women Productions, uh, First Lady is the movie, and Daily Bread is the TV series. All right. I guess the only thing left at that point is, is unless you have any other websites you want to share, uh, feel free to do so. And if you invite people to follow you on social media anywhere, uh, feel free to share your handles if you like. And of course, if not, uh, fair enough. 
Yeah, I don't do social media because they don't like us. They censor <laughs> us. They silence us. So I'm not playing if they're going to treat us badly. It's kind of like you're taking your marbles and going home because they're cheating. So, no, I, I, I gave up Facebook, never got on Twitter. And I think anyone that stays on Twitter that's being put in their Twitter jail should just get off Twitter. Have your last tweet be, hi, not been fun. And meet me around the corner at Gather or Parlor or, or Social uh, Truth social, social. There's a gazillion other things you can do. Do not give these people your money or your time. And if every conservative got off of Facebook and off of Twitter and all these other things, believe me, they would die. They would fall. They would, they would crumble because there's no value to them. So why should we put our money behind a, an organization that's trying to destroy us? And censor us and silence us. So I, I just, no, I don't do so. But other than that, I, <laughs> you can find us at renaissancewomenproductions.com or, like I say, specifically either firstladymovie.com or Daily Bread Series. That's the, um, the post-apocalyptic one. All right. Well, again, thank you so much uh, for joining me tonight, Nina. I greatly appreciate it. And I do look forward to our next opportunity to, to talk again. Oh, absolutely. That would be wonderful. I, I would look forward to it. Bless y'all and all that you're doing, too. All right. And uh, same to you. Same to you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was uh, Nina May, uh, founder and uh, chairman of Renaissance Women. And as you can tell, all-around conservative firebrand. Uh, stay with me. I'll be back <laughs> after this brief break. Uh, all right, and so the brief break is me basically just telling you that uh, this is going to have to be it for hour number one today. Uh, for those of you that are listening on Terrestrial Radio, that means I'm saying goodbye to you uh, until Monday. Uh, so be sure to tune in to the podcast if you want to hear hour number two from tonight. And if you're listening to the podcast, don't go anywhere. Hour number two starts right after this. In the meanwhile, uh, for those of you that I am saying goodbye to, remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort. Most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. And uh, hey, uh, Joe, this is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. state plan taught to praise the little man told that union saved the working class he was raised a red state son to love the flag and own a gun warned about the greed within the mass they met beneath the moonlit sky a college party drunk and high and when they had degrees they said their vows he couldn't say when, he couldn't say how, he couldn't say why, she was different in his eyes. They built careers and had a kid, tried to live like their parents did, but both their parties taxed them close to death. Learned to hate the public schools Watch TV making fools While trial lawyers looted what was left She, she couldn't say when She couldn't say how She couldn't say why 
He was different in her eyes. Saw them years ago. Happy little cabin in the west. They homeschooled on their farm, making so much more from so much less. can say when you're listening to tap into the truth Damn you, when 
Hello and welcome to today's broadcast of Tap Into The Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever-so-humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you from lovely, beautiful, scenic, and yes, historic Roan County, Tennessee. Uh, again, I've had a few folks reaching out and asking, Hey, Tim, what's so historic about Roan County, Tennessee? Well, first of all, everything, okay? We are historic. We got history coming out the wazoo. Uh, but uh, the biggest claim to fame here in the county, uh, as far as Tennessee state history is concerned, uh, is the fact that Kingston, the county seat, the capital of the county, if you will, uh, was actually capital of the state of Tennessee for all of one day. So uh, there's a little bit of history. Now there's a whole lot more, but I don't have time to go into it because you and I are here to talk about crazy leftist and all the political shenanigans that are going on in this country. So we're going to pick up right there. We are indeed to that time of the week, a very unique time. Uh, we we're in bonus content territory. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Only if you happen to be either listening on The Last Frequency, uh, lastfrequency.com, fantastic platform, by the way. Uh, Michael Vera still trying to uh, make sure that the best and most diverse opportunities for talk is all together in one place. Uh, unless you're listening there or unless you're listening to the podcast on one of the many platforms that the podcast is available on, you're the only ones that are going to hear it. None of the folks that are listening to the rebroadcast on terrestrial radio are getting to hear this hour unless something really crazy happens. So we're going to treat it like bonus content, and that's because it is bonus content. It's special just for you, dear listener, just you. All right, with, uh, with that out of the way, this story is certainly worthy of being in the main rotation, worthy of being part of the usual discussion for uh, terrestrial radio. But uh, partially part of the reason why I decided to hold on to this uh, for now uh, was mostly because I wanted to get both interviews into the first hour today. Uh, that, that was the big part. But also, I'm a little embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that this story managed to evade my notice uh, up until just a couple of days ago. See, this is the kind of thing that ordinarily I pick up on pretty early. This is the kind of thing that usually comes across my desk, uh, enters into my radar uh, much earlier than for most other folks. So imagine my surprise when I discovered that this new report out of Minnesota that shows yet again that when critical race theory is put into practice, well, it's really nothing more than overt anti-white racism. Supposedly, and I use that word because it's difficult to imagine in any kind of reality. But supposedly, this is to correct past wrongs. You see, the Minneapolis Federation of Teachers Union, uh, they've conjured up a collective bargaining agreement that stipulates that while white teachers, uh, they might be more qualified than not white colleagues, you still should release the white teachers first if, if it's necessary. If it comes time that you should have to fire 
a teacher, if you should have to lay them off uh, for budget cuts or uh, whatever the reason shall be, uh, the white teacher should go first. No, nothing else matters, only the fact that you're white. Now, the Minneapolis Public School District not only agreed that firing practice uh, agreed to it, but now, now that word is out, that more people have heard about it, have seen it, have started talking about it, well, now they're defending it. Under the contract, non-white teachers are considered a, a population underrepresented among licensed teachers. I, I pause just briefly to let that sink in. That racial category means that for some reason, they should be privileged from being laid off first, regardless of their educational qualifications, regardless of whether or not they have seniority. Now, I am not a big a fan of the idea of seniority. Uh, even though I currently work uh, in a place for my day job, that I have a great deal of seniority. You know, I am one of the longest standing employees at this particular business. But I've never really been a big fan of seniority. I think that your value to the company, your merit, your ability to do the job well, and your ability to perform or in many cases outperform your colleagues should be the top criteria in whether or not you keep somebody through an economic downturn, whatever the rationale is. When it comes to public schools, obviously it's a budgeting issue, uh, or at least ordinarily that's what you would expect. But uh, I, I'm not a big fan of the idea of seniority, but that's a big deal when it comes to education. I mean, the, the whole idea of tenure when it comes to college professors, uh, that's all about achieving a certain level of seniority. And uh, there are several places, especially union jobs, where seniority is normally the first consideration. I've been here the longest. I should get to stay. I've proven my worth over time. Well, you know, it, at least the union has managed to keep you in place the longest time. They've not necessarily proven anything, depending on the job. All right. Uh, and, of course, maybe maybe you are the senior person there because you are the best at it. I, I Obviously, case-by-case -case basis, right? But the point being, uh, there doesn't seem to be any other qualification here other than the fact that, well, you know, if you're not white, you should be last on the list. The old adage of last hired, first fired, uh, just, well, you know, it, it doesn't count unless that last hired happened to be white. So anyway, this recent contract agreement between the union and the Minneapolis Public Schools states that, quote, starting with the spring of 2023 budget tie-out cycle, if accessing a teacher who is a member of a population underrepresented among licensed teachers in the site, the district shall excise the next least senior teacher who is not a member of an underrepresented population. In other words, no matter how far up they have to go in the qualifications and the seniority bit, uh, they have to fire white teachers before a non-white teacher. Now, accessing, in case you're not familiar with the term, that refers to the reduction of staff, uh, just for, you know, uh, so we're speaking the same language here. 
Now, the justification for such blatant racial discrimination is purportedly to rectify past discrimination. You know, the whole idea that it's not enough to just not be racist. Now you have to be anti-racist, which by definition means you're being racist just in a direction other than how racism has typically went in the past. And the same people that still argue that people of color can't be racist in America because they don't have the power. There has to be institutional authority before it can be racism, which is a bunch of bunk, and it's a twist of words, and it's just this whole part and parcel for the ridiculous ideology of critical race theory. And, excuse me, but I thought these were supposed to be the smartest people in the room. I mean, literally, these are the prof professionals in the education business, right? You would think it would not be difficult to convince these folks, to get them to understand that you don't stop racism by being racist, that you cannot change hearts and minds by just changing who the victim is. You're furthering the divide. You're deepening the distance of that divide. You are creating more hostility in and amongst a group of people that would typically be your allies, since that's the vernacular you like to use. I mean, you are looking for white allies, right? I mean, clearly you want them to sit down, shut up, let you guys say what you got to say. And definitely don't want to hear from somebody like me, who you would not think of as being an ally. Although, I would make the argument that by trying to hold up a level of reality to you, by trying to be honest with you about, you know, maybe the most qualified teachers should be the folks that you try to keep in place. Although, hey, let's not do something hard like have to tell a teacher that, well, yeah, sure, you've been here for three years now, but you kind of suck at it. So we're going to we're gonna keep this uh, new teacher that just started this month, but it's clearly head and shoulders above your capability to teach. Uh, maybe they just don't want to have those conversations. Uh, even just the idea of evaluating teaching, because they can't seem to define anything, right? They can't even decide what defines a woman. So how can you expect them to define who's the most successful educator? Uh, it's just, there's too many moving parts. So that's too much to ask from them, right? Uh, past discrimination. You cannot solve past issues by doing the same thing in a different direction now. It just, it doesn't work. Racism is never going to be solved by simply being racist towards someone else. I would think that was pretty straightforward. That's, guess why I keep repeating it, I suppose. So, yeah, a part of me, I, I'm getting to this point, I'm still wondering in my mind, how did I miss this? Because this was passed a little while back, but let's Let's continue with the article for just a bit further, shall we? So, according to the Washington Times a statement that was given to them, the Minneapolis School District actually defended its racist policies. And yes, this is racist, whether you want to admit it or not. Uh, saying, quote, To remedy the continuing effects of past discrimination, Minneapolis School, I'm sorry, Minneapolis Public Schools and the Minneapolis Federation of Teachers mutually agreed to contract language that aims to support the recruitment and retention of teachers from underrepresented groups as compared 
to the labor market, and to the communities served by the school district. That sounds familiar to you, any at all. That's because it's nearly identical to the uh, so-called advice from one of America's most preeminent race baiters, uh, critical race theory huckster, uh, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi, who we have talked about uh, ad nauseum in some weeks in the past here. Uh, and I'm sure you've heard the name in several other conservative shows as well. <sighs> this whole idea, it still, it makes no sense. Now, I'm all for recruiting and retaining teachers that look like the students they're going to be teaching. You know, that the the language of the left here, we'll, we'll use it for their benefit here. Because uh, you constantly hear them talking about, well, I was always just thinking, why don't I see someone that looks like me? Or uh, how I, I feel so good about seeing this person being held up as a hero or doing this great thing that before I would have never thought I could do until I saw them because, hey, they looked like me. Guys, just even choosing to word it that way proves that you're tiptoeing around trying to be so very careful not to get yourself canceled because one slip up, one trip, and all of a sudden you find yourself in the gigantic pit that is cancel culture. But hey, I get it. All right. I mean, there's just certain legitimacy to saying, okay, well, if all I ever saw was white people doing this, why would I ever think a white person uh, would even allow someone of color to do it. Well, first of all, this is the United States of America. And contrary to popular opinion on the left, uh, we are not the most racist, racist nation on the planet. We're just not. Not even close, actually. In fact, we have neighbors surrounding us that are way more racist. Uh, anyway, if black people weren't allowed to do white people stuff, why is Tiger Woods playing golf? You know, he should have never been able to play golf. I don't want any black people playing white people's sports. <laughs> of course, by that same token, technically basketball and football originally were white people's sports. So uh, is that is that a legitimate statement? Something tells me that somebody's going to uh, copy, paste, snip a little audio clip of me saying, I don't want, and, and they're going to try to play it off like that's me actually being racist. And it's not. I, I've never been a big golf fan, period. But I got to tell you, I watched more golf when Tiger Woods was playing because he was such a phenomenon. And not because of the color of his skin, but because he was able to be so consistently good in a sport where you would constantly see like these top five folks uh, that are constantly in the top five. But they would always be a different individual who would take home the win at the different uh, events. Whereas uh, Tiger, he, he got to where in at his height of his ability before the injuries started, before all these other things started interfering, it was like he would show up. You might as well just go ahead and give him the trophy because he was taking the whole thing. I, I also look at uh, Venus and Serena Williams. It's like, again, a sport that, you had seen very few people of color even participate in uh, at a professional level. And they just come along and they do such a phenomenal job of being extremely good tennis players. And uh, again, ratings went up. People were watching. And it wasn't just because suddenly 
black folks were watching this, it was because they became a story into themselves, and not just because of the color of their skin, but again, because of how consistently scary good they were. Now, obviously, somebody's going to say, well, that's just not true, Tim. Clearly, it's because you thought it was oh so cute to watch the black people do this white person thing. That's, if there was anybody legitimately doing that, they should be ashamed of themselves, okay? Uh, but I don't think that's it. I think ultimately, you've got to come back around to this idea that you can't undo the damage of decades or centuries or whatever time frame you want to use of a really bad behavior by suddenly doing the exact same thing directed at somebody else. I, I'm going to keep saying that because that's the point that you should be taking home. It's the point that people like Ibram X. Kendi needs to have ingrained in their mind instead of this idea that, yeah, yeah, we gotta, we gotta make sure that uh, we, we are racist to white people. That's, that's the only way to, to heal the divide. It's the opposite of what will heal the divide. Sheesh. Anyway, uh, literally, let me quote Ibram uh, from his book, how to be an anti-racist. He literally said, quote, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. Uh, translation, we're just going to reverse the discrimination. That's literally what the words mean, too. It's not even trying to hide it there. They're just hoping maybe you don't understand the English language. They have tried to redefine and redirect it so many times. Uh, also, he said, quote, the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. In other words, the only way to fix everything that's been wrong, everything that's done wrong, everything that's going to be done wrong, is to keep doing the wrong thing directed back at them. That's literally how you keep a problem continuing to get worse. It's not how you fix it. The, the absolute worst aspect of this is this is literally the opposite of the tack of Martin Luther King Jr., who was on the right track with his peaceful resistance. And while it looks bad that you have to take so many slings and arrows to stand up to make sure that the right thing happens, is inevitably it proves exactly that you are right. It proves that racism, no matter how it rears its ugly head, is bad and it's wrong. When you see the extremes that are perpetrated on people that not only are trying to improve their lives and the lives of their families, their friends, their brothers, their sisters, and essentially everyone, period, that they're willing to just stand up and they're willing to be physically beat down, that they're willing to, to take everything that the worst among us has to dish out at them, and they still will not resort to violence themselves, it makes it so crystal clear for anybody that looks with the least bit of objectivity about how wrong the racism was to begin with. 
you see firsthand how, and then suddenly people who were, you know, non-committal about it suddenly feel the need to commit to helping to make things better. People who were allies before become super allies. People who weren't allies become allies. People who actually might have participated in low-level racism without realizing it suddenly become aware and they decide to change their ways. That is the way to win hearts and minds. And guess what? There is no need to reciprocate bad behavior. There's no need to take the negative things and just, bam, okay, now we're going to do the same thing to you. You actually, you breach the divide. You actually bring hearts and minds together. You actually blur the color lines. And, and that is how you win racism, uh, Ibram. It's not by, well, we're just going to be racist back. No, it's showing why racism is stupid in the first place. That's how you end racism. And the worst part is that I really do think most of these people do know that. I think most of them do understand it. And I think a lot of these folks, like Ibram, sorry, Ibram X. Kendi, uh, if these divides actually are breached, if we actually heal those wounds, then they got to find some other way to, to make their money. Anyway... Those principles that he stated, the same principles that were used to defend this new contract in the Minneapolis public school system, those principles, once you laid them out, once you foisted them upon college kids across America, well, you then see people who've been indoctrinated with that idea why they would expect it to be played out in the real world, why they would expect to see uh, these people doing exactly this, and why they might think, believe in their heart of hearts and in their tiny little squishy brain of brains that, well, this is what we're supposed to do. This is how we solve it. Ibram X. Kendi's told us so. See, what's worse is that the educators behind the anti-white discrimination, they want it to be a nationwide model of their definition of success. Quoting here, Edward Barlow, a band teacher uh, who happens to work uh, in the area and happens to be a member of the Minneapolis Federation of Teachers Executive Board, uh, talking to the Star Tribune, said, quote, it can be a national model, and schools in other states are looking to emulate what we did. Yeah, I'm sure several of them are. The problem is, these schools that are looking to emulate it are going to have the same level of non-success that you are. These schools are mostly places that are already failing by any legitimate standard of educating our young. But these people, they want you to look at them. They want to be the new woke heroes. Every week, there's a new woke hero. And uh, this is their week. This is their time. They want, they, if they finally got noticed, 
They managed to quietly do this. And like I said, ordinarily, they passed it back uh, several months ago. And ordinarily, as soon as this happened, that'd be the kind of story that would get in onto my radar. And I'd be talking about it uh, much sooner than I did. So I, again, I'm kind of embarrassed that I'm just now finding out about this. But uh, Edward, Edward Barlow, continued. He said, even though it doesn't do everything that we wanted it to do, it's still a huge move forward for the retention of teachers of color. Is that even necessarily the case? I mean, first of all, what else did you want it to do, Ed? Mr. Barlow, sir, band teacher extraordinaire, what else did you want it to do? Do you just want them to just come flat out and say, well, we're not going to hire any more white teachers, period, or all the white teachers that are currently working have to be fired so we can hire more teachers of color? Is, is that ultimately where you wanted to take it? What else did you want it to do? I would like to know. But how does this actually move forward for the retention of teachers of color when the only thing that should be important, and I'm sorry, isn't this the line we often hear from teachers anyway? that it's the students that come first? Isn't the only thing that should be important in your mind, and obviously everybody's going to be concerned about their own self-interest, okay? I get it. They chose to be teachers. They want to be teachers. Presumably, most of them are at least good enough to keep their jobs, so there has to be some level of quality coming, I suppose. I know a lot of great teachers, okay? And that's why it kind of even hurts me a little bit to have this conversation and sound like I'm downing teachers. But unfortunately, I've also seen a whole lot of not-so-great teachers, and I get to hear from folks like this. Wouldn't the best move forward for the retention of teachers of color is to get the best, most qualified teachers of color and then make the argument that, hey, these guys are the best teachers we've got? Skin color doesn't matter. Because guess what, guys? Skin color shouldn't matter. And I'm sorry if it's shocking to you that I say this, but it shouldn't matter. Let's get them to be the best teachers available so that then, if you want to make an argument against last hired, first fired kind of mentality, let's make that argument on most qualified gets to stay. And there's no reason, at least not that I know of, that teachers of color can't be that level of teacher. And that should be what we're looking for, right? No, no, no. But absent of any qualification is the idea of merit. Absence of any qualification is the idea that if you are the best teacher regardless of skin color, that should be the first thing considered. The actual notion, the idea, what reigns supreme in this agreement is the skin color of the teacher. In other words, it is a monumental step backwards in the name of progress. And these are supposed to be the uh, progressives. That's what they call themselves. Of course, you know, we defined how that really plays out several times. But in the name of social justice, the students, as well as white educators whose only sin is being white, once again, you guys are being put last. The students should be first. They're the ones that are absolutely dead last with the white educators 
being next. Uh, and at this point, every last white teacher working for the school system should just freaking walk out and say, if we're not important enough to the teachers union and to the school system here that you want to discriminate against us regardless of how long we work for you or how good we are at our job, then obviously we'll just go somewhere else. Guess what? There's a lot of other states, and I know maybe you don't want to move, but there's a lot of other states that are still looking for teachers. In fact, if if you happen to be a leftist, this might be a hard uh, uh, a hard pill to swallow. But Florida right now has a huge shortage of teachers. And I think they might actually. Uh, I, I don't think they pay as much uh, as uh, they do up in Minnesota uh, for your annual salary. But uh, secret cost of living in Florida is a lot less. And, oh, by the way, the weather is a lot nicer. So... Uh, and that's just one place that are looking for teachers. So you got options. That's all I'm saying. Uh, and they're not going to put your skin color as the most important reason to have you. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and take that mid-hour break before I get worked back up again. Guys, stay with me. I'll be right back after this very brief break. My name's Joe Biden. All men and women created by the go, you know the, you know the thing. Joe Brandon, I agree. I mean, he has made clear that. Uh, 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 no, no. I promise you, the president has a big stick. I keep forgetting I'm president. A warning to robbers. What recently happened in Las Vegas won't just stay in Vegas. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook being brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. Recently in Las Vegas, two young burglars stepped into the Smokestrom Smoke Shop on West Sahara Avenue. One of the two robbers grabbed the store owner's tip jar and his accomplice proceeded to snatch other items. Store owner Johnny Nyon politely asked the suspects not to take items from his store without paying and just leave. However, that was like asking a Democrat or Rhino to actually care about our republic. So needless to say, the young burglars decided to take more stuff. Then one of them hopped over the counter thinking he would beat down Mr. Nyon, the store owner who asked the thugs to leave. As things got physical, the store owner was forced to defend himself against the younger and stronger stronger burglar. He grabbed a sharp object and quickly stabbed the young thug and quickly called 911. Both suspects were arrested and investigations are ongoing. Hopefully, young wannabe thugs will restrain themselves because like the Las Vegas store owner, more business owners will teach you to leave people and their property alone. I'm Ron Edwards. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was in the, foot, uh, foot, foot, excuse me, in the foothills of the Himalayas with Xi Jinping, traveling with him. I'd actually traveled 17,000 miles when I was vice president. I don't know that for a fact. I'm so tired of trickle-down economics. 
I, I never found that, that trickled down on top of my head very much. I was listed, I was had the great pleasure of being listed as the poorest man in Congress for 36 years. I still had making a hell of a lot more money than anybody else because I was getting a senator's salary. No kidding. I didn't think you should make money while you're in office. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. Cross the border late at night He sneaks into America Dodging dogs and big searchlights They snuck into America I I still feel like that's probably just a little closer to being flat out racist than just being funny, but it's still pretty funny. I'm sure I'm triggering somebody, but as I am often uh, been heard saying, your triggers are your responsibility. Not my job to tiptoe around your sensitive feelings. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Before we get back to any of the topics of the day, uh, topics toujours for those of you who are listening in France, uh, <laughs> I want to uh, want to give you an opportunity. See, if you happen to be a small business owner, if you happen to be somebody that is in need of raising capital, uh, whether you're just kicking off a startup or maybe you've been around for a while, but the current economic downturn has really made investment capital harder to get, then maybe, and just maybe, you might find your answer over at Start Engine. Now, Start Engine is a fantastic crowdfunding, crowdsource investment platform. In fact, it's the best, the number one rated, the top crowdsourcing funding uh, site when it comes to businesses. 
And now uh, they have also recently signed an exclusive strategic partnership with Indiegogo, which now allows you to move beyond just the startup phase, which is primarily the folks that started you. So here's, here's what I have to, to offer you. Obviously, you can just go ahead and go visit startengine.com on your own if that's what you choose. But I would ask you to use the link that's going to be in the show description because then they will know I sent you. And if you end up signing up with them, I'll get a nice little referral bonus. It's it's a nice way to help support the show. And who knows? I'll probably utilize that referral bonus to invest in your company. Uh, you know, just let me know if you if you're up there and did it. Uh, so, cause you know, why not? You know, fair is fair, right? Now, if you're well, if you're listening over at the last frequency, or if something crazy happened, and somehow this hour is getting broadcast on terrestrial radio, which ordinarily this hour is usually just bonus for just the podcast listeners and the last frequency listeners. But if somehow that happens, uh, and you don't have a show description in front of you, then you can come visit me at tapintothetruth.com. That's T-A-P-P, into the truth, all one word. Dot com, And then instead of on the homepage, uh, move over to the tab for uh, friends and sponsors. Uh, now, they're not a sponsor, but I consider them a friend because they're helping me to raise money. And what you will see is there's some links to some of the companies that I've actually invested in over at Start Engine. And then there will be a link specifically to Start Engine if you're looking for capital. So you can... Follow the link there. If you'll just remember to visit me at tapintothetruth.com and then go to the tab for friends and sponsors of the show. Uh, and from there, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. It won't be hard to find. Uh, just follow that. And by following that link, well, uh, you'll still get all the information you need to see if maybe Start Engine just might be the solution for you. And if it is, and you've used that link, well, then you help to support the show. And like I said, I, there's no reason whatsoever why if you sign up and use them, while I wouldn't uh, maybe use some of that referral money to invest in you. Because after all, you've invested in me, right? Fair is fair. Now, I believe in fair. I like fair. I hope you like fair. But what were we talking about? Well, I guess all's fair. And love, war, and talk radio. All right, what do you say we get back to the action, shall we? Now, I wasn't really planning on putting the uh, Sneak Into America liner in regular rotation. Played it the other day. thought I'd bring it out every now and then when I'm feeling particularly fun. And since this is kind of a uh, Friday night kind of broadcast, even though technically I'm doing it on Thursday... Um, it feels appropriate because one of the bigger breaking news stories today uh, that I'm actually not going to be talking about very much, I suspect you'll hear me talk about it on Sunday with Ron Edwards uh, when we get together for our Sunday afternoon conversation. But there was this big debacle. You can see the video. Uh, you can read the story. Just about every major conservative news outlet uh, craziest darn thing I've ever seen. Uh, Texas National Guard folks had locked a gate on private property. Now, the owners of the private property had given permission to the state of Texas to lock that gate. They had locked it. One of the 
heaviest illegal border crossing positions that exist in the border with Texas. They locked it up. They closed it. They're like, it. nope, sorry, no more folks coming across, not here on the private property. Well, under orders, be interesting to see exactly how high up the orders came from, but one would imagine it probably came from the White House. Not necessarily uh, Joe Biden, uh, because let's face it, he's not really in charge of much of anything. Uh, you know, he's, he's just aviator Joe. Now, he's cool now that he's got his sunglasses back on and he's having a good day. Uh, <laughs> some of the most ridiculous articles I've seen this uh, past week after he signed the Inflation Non-Reduction Act into law. They wanted to talk about his aviator sunglasses again. Suddenly he's Joe Cool again. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. has never been Joe Cool. Ever. The reason he has the aviators is because he's trying to fool you. And actually, I think he's trying to be in disguise so that he thinks that's enough that nobody will recognize him. After all, he still believes that Clark Kent and Superman are two different people. Uh, so, uh, well, I hate to bust his bubble, they're not people at all. They're made up. But anyway, uh, just an outrageous situation where the Border Patrol was forced to go unlock the gate and let these illegal border crossers onto the private property so that they could process them. A whole group of illegals just stood there waiting to try to get over there. Like, oh, there's a fence here. What do we do? And they just stood around waiting. This, again, I'll remind you, happened on private property. It's not government property. Under what authority does the federal government have to go onto somebody's private property and open up a gate that they have put up? doesn't matter that the Texas uh, National Guard's the ones that actually locked the gate. They had permission to do it. Permission from the property owner. Did the federal government obtain permission from the property owner to open the gate? I mean, if you really wanted to let them on across and, you know, process them, then maybe you should have let them cross somewhere else, Joe. Yeah, I'm going to talk to you, Joe. Cool Joe. Joe Cool. Aviator Joe. Barely there. Beijing Biden. Yeah, you. I'm going to talk to you because ultimately you could have stopped this. You should make clear moving forward that you're not going to allow this to happen again. Stop violating the rights of property owners. If I am on my property for which I'm paying taxes, for which I own, then guess what? I expect you, the federal government, to respect my property rights. And if you can't do that, then you best not come trespassing on my property. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, like I said, I have a feeling we'll be talking a lot about that on Sunday. But the other topic that I did want to discuss with you tonight, and I may have just cost myself enough time to adequately get into it, but uh, yeah, we're going to at least get started with it anyway, is this statement from Michael Hayden. What, you, you haven't heard? Oh, tell me you heard. The former CIA and NSA director, General Michael Hayden, well, he bashed Republicans this past Wednesday, saying that he agreed with the claim that there was no more dangerous political force 
than Republicans. Hayden, of course, made the comments in response to a tweet from Financial Times editor and writer Edward Luce. Luce tweeted, quote, I've covered extremism and violent ideologies around the world over my career. Have never come across a political force more nihilistic, dangerous, and contemptible than today's Republicans. Nothing close. Nothing close? Nothing close. I mean, the fact that this guy would say that, wow. But this guy, the former intelligence director, he shared a statement saying, quote, I agree. And I was in the CIA. I was the CIA director. Okay, well, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, guys. You see, Hayden, who was appointed to be CIA director by former President George W. Bush, he led the agency from uh, 2006 until 2009. Previously, he was first appointed by former President Bill Clinton to be the director of the NSA, a role that he held from 1999 up until 2005. So he spent some time in foreign intelligence gathering. The former Air Force general began his career during the Cold War, when the threat of nuclear war between the Soviet Union and the United States was actually a very real possibility. And he's witnessed the rise of an increasingly powerful China. You know, over the course of the last several decades, they've become a real threat. Now, during his tenure, leading the two different intelligence agencies, he would have been heavily involved with the U.S. response to Islamic terrorism as he was heading up the NSA during the September 11, 2001 attacks. He endorsed Joe Biden during the 2020 presidential election. Last year, he even said that it was a good idea to send MAGA-wearing, unvaxxed Americans to Afghanistan. Well, hell yeah, it's a good idea, because at least then somebody would be willing to keep the promises that America had made to our friends and allies that Biden just left to die. But, you know. That's not important. Hayden was widely criticized by conservatives for a statement seemingly to indicate that he believes Republicans are more of a threat than ISIS was. That Republicans are more of a threat than the Chinese Communist Party. Sebastian Gorka, who I love dearly, he's such a cut through to the facts kind of guy said, quote, if you wondered whether there is a deep state, here's Obama's DCI calling 74 million Americans worse than the Taliban, ISIS, and Al-Qaeda. The Washington Free Beacon investigative reporter Chuck Ross pointed out that Hayden was heading up the CIA when the U.S. was attempting to hunt down Osama bin Laden. Hayden's comments come as the Biden administration, through the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Justice, have ramped up operations and investigations into domestic terrorism. You know, all the parents that were showing up at the PTA board meetings. However, some have accused the feds of inflating concerns about domestic extremism. I wonder why. In July, the DOJ was accused by whistleblowers of 
padding its domestic terrorism statistics to make the threat seem more widespread, seem more believable. This guy literally came out and said that Republicans, now I guess at least he didn't just say conservatives, but I think that's usually what they mean when they say Republican. They don't want to make the distinction that not all Republicans are conservative any more than they want to make the distinction that not all Democrats are liberal. In fact, very few current office holders at the federal level are actually liberal. They're all progressives, not the same thing. In fact, liberals don't try to squash speech. They're advocates of free speech. But this guy comes out and says this, and it just stands as reason at the same time that uh, we're discovering reports that, uh, that our foreign allies and even non-allies, they just don't take U.S. intelligence very seriously anymore. Uh, several folks are now officially on the record as saying uh, that uh, they take all American intelligence uh, with a grain of salt because they've seen for some time now. It's clear, it's obvious that, uh, that so much of the politics is involved with all of their so-called intelligence gathering. They do not put intelligence out and make it available to anybody without it being vetted through the, the, what, what's a good word here? Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, being vetted through the rose-colored glasses of the political uh, raids. I, I don't know. It's just, it's such an embarrassment that every other country in the world seems to understand that there must be a distinction between the non-political parts of our government and the political parts. Uh, the idea that now there can be some level of our operations, functioning government, part of the bureaucracy that is actually non-partisan, uh, the, the, the phrase itself has almost become an oxymoron. I, the fact that they still use it to describe the Congressional Budget Office uh, amazes me because we see that the Congressional Budget Office does, in fact, try really hard to find a way to make the leftist side of the bills work. It's just they also are still concerned about maintaining their own integrity. So as long as you're actually trying to, I don't know, be an accountant and trying to maintain a level of integrity so that people can trust you, it's kind of hard to go along with the spin and the lies. Our intelligence gathering, our justice system, all of these parts of the bureaucracy should be nonpartisan. Everything from the IRS to the DOJ, everything from the EPA to uh, the CIA, all of these things should be nonpartisan. They should be focused not on which party's in charge, not on who's going to appoint who, who's going to promote who, should all be focused on. Let's do our job, and that job is to do the work of the people. That job is to give the American people the best service that they can uh, and to do so in a way that 
actually does serve the American people. doesn't serve a specific president, even though technically the directors of several of these things serve at the leisure of the president, meaning that they can be replaced at the drop of a hat. But there was a time, I'm assured, I, again, my time on this planet, I'm not certain that I've seen it. But there was a time where being nonpartisan and standing on principles was a reason for a Republican president or a Democrat president to want to choose you to run one of these executive bureaucracies. The fact that they could trust you to do the job as it needs to be done, not to do political favors, not to turn this bureaucracy into a way to weaponize the government against the political enemies of the party in charge. There was a time when that was considered to be a plus. Now, it's a reason to not be considered for the job. It's sad. It's scary. But the fact that somebody that helmed up the NSA, somebody that was in charge of the CIA, wants to sit here and tell you that Republicans are the nastiest, meanest, biggest threat, not only to America, not only to our democracy. Uh, again, we have a constitutionally federated republic, guys. Uh, but just the biggest threat to all humanity as we know it, because they're so nihilistic and because they're so extreme. Yes, warning. Conservative talk here. Known to espouse such extremist views as the Constitution is good. Known to espouse such extremist views as Christianity is a positive force in the world. Known to espouse such radical and extremist views as in you should be self-reliant, not reliant on the government. If you believe that hearing the phrase, I'm from the government and I'm here to help, is a reason to high-five and celebrate instead of a reason to hide your wallet, well, then maybe you should just stay home on Election Day. Yes, it, it is getting pretty close to time for some uh, tap into the truth voter apathy projects. Probably should have already started them. And I meanwhile, that's going to have to be it for tonight. Thank you so much for listening, as always. Don't forget to uh, go check out Start Engine if you're looking for startup capital or if you're looking to expand a recent startup. And uh, also, don't forget to check out Built Boost and uh, check out the rest Built Bar has to offer while you're there. And in the meanwhile, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. And, uh, you know, I got to say one last thing to Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. before I go. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, Let's go. Hey.
control is using both hands. Founders knew the Second Amendment was the final one to keep. To hold our other rights intact so we'd never become sheep. Is using both hands Well I prefer the 308 to the tiny 223 Gives me more than a thousand yards to protect my family using both hands Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.